You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Bill Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams here live in the Right Side studios, local, state, national, sometimes the international. We cover down on all the issues, and like that dude just said, solid conservative and just plain right. Well, it is it is Monday, and it's a beautiful Monday, by the way, but it is Monday, March the 6th, and Boomer's on the board. Hey, buddy. Hey. How are you? I'm I'm good. Good. Sun shining. I'm here. I'm great. I know it. Took little man hunting this weekend. Took little man hunting this weekend. <laughs> first time hunting. Got him a got him a first got him first shooting with a firearm. That's right. But he and his little friends they were a little loud, so there was no live creature within <laughs> within <laughs> six hundred yards. I mean, I don't even know. <laughs> so we didn't get anything. Uh, that's <laughs> but okay. it was a blast. That's okay. Big doing. So. Big doings. That's, Thanks for asking. That is good. That is good. <laughs> All right. Hey, we got a great show laid on for you today. Three o'clock today. John Wall, chairman of the Alabama Republican Party, is going to be calling in. You know, our state legislature goes into session tomorrow. Uh, Governor Ivey delivers her state of the state speech tomorrow night. Thursday night, uh, the Alabama Republican Party has its uh, uh, annual spring dinner, and uh, Governor Ron DeSantis is the featured speaker that night. Uh, and so, yeah, John Wall, chairman of the Alabama Republican Party, on here to talk about stuff at 3 o'clock. Y'all stay tuned for that. And then I got a triple dipper full of more stuff, so hit it, Boomer. The Triple Dipper. Three stories you've got to know. That's right, the Triple Dipper. Three stories you've got to know as we run today's show. Number one on the list, tuition wars. So, yeah, tuition wars. You know, right now, Biden is doing all he can to have another free giveaway opportunity where he just basically, you know, soaks up money like a sponge and squeezes it out over whoever happens to be nearby. Well, that's the student loan bailout. But but here's the issue. Why is he doing this? Why is he doing this when the real crux of the problem is more the cost of tuition? When is higher ed ever going to be held to account for the fact that the inflated market for tuition right now is part of the problem? But we're going to talk about that. Number one of the Triple Dipper, tuition wars, and the numbers are going to shock you. Uh, Number two, woke warfare. Woke warfare. Like warfare, but it's woke. So, yeah, we're going to talk about what what is happening with our U.S. military and and, and what are the actual determinations being made by the leadership of the U.S. military right now that that just do not seem at all in line with the idea of having a military that is just purely designed to win wars and vanquish enemies. Well, we're going to talk about it. Woke warfare, number two on the Triple Dipper. And then number three, policy versus reality. You know what's amazing is when you see ridiculous policies being put in place and then the results come and they act surprised. And you got to look at it and go, hmm, why exactly did Lori Lightfoot get voted out? And then why exactly is Walmart abandoning uh, Portland? So, yeah, we're going to talk about it. Policy versus reality. And that's number three on the Triple Dipper. All right, let me shift gears over here to my, my comments for the day to kick off the week. Um, so, yeah, I was talking to a friend last night. 
We were reminiscing about the great blizzard of 1993. I'm sure some of you remember it. It was a true blizzard, man. It, it locked down much of the southeastern United States. Here in North Alabama, we had anywhere from two to three feet of snow. And it's still, it's still billed right now in the annals of weather history as the 93 Superstorm. Even the panhandle of Florida had four inches of snow. Near up Mount Leconte, Tennessee, they recorded 56 inches of snow. In all, the storm has attributed to over 300 deaths and $5.5 billion in damages. So my friend and I were comparing notes about where we were and how it went for us in the storm, and his story was pretty amazing, as he and his family lived right on top of a mountain in northeast Alabama. In a regular neighborhood, but there they were on top of a mountain. And his oldest son was just two, and his wife was nearly nine months pregnant with their next child. And then the power went out, and it stayed out for days. And the family hunkered down in the den for days, burning through their firewood, putting their perishable food out in the snow since their refrigerator was out. All the roads leading up to the mountain to their home were blocked by fallen trees and iced over roads. But the crazy thing was, he said their phone lines never went out. So over time, as he could reach out, he began to understand that people in the neighborhoods below his were living life with electricity. But he couldn't get off the mountain. And then his wife began to experience some complications with the pregnancy. And so he called their doc at his home, who told him, I don't know how you're going to manage it, but you need to get off that mountain so I can see her. So they literally loaded up a backpack with essentials, and with his two-year-old sitting on his shoulders and his incredibly pregnant wife, they walked a mile and a half down the mountain, climbing over downed trees and made their way to the world of electricity. He said he will never forget that when they made it down, that a friend was there to pick them up, and that the friend got them loaded in the car and then asked, do they want to stop by Hardy's and get a biscuit? Get a biscuit? They hadn't eaten much in days. They ran out of firewood. They walked pregnant off the mountain in snow and ice, and the people down below were eating Hardy's biscuits? He said that biscuit was good, but it was almost surreal to eat it, knowing that just hours before, they were questioning their own safety. They went from having what some would call a third-world problem to a first-world problem. Which biscuit do you want? From having the discussion about what they could possibly eat to having to decide whatever they wanted to eat from a fast-food menu. First-world problems when you get down to it, are really not problems at all. So late in the same evening, we were having another conversation, myself and this friend who had been in the blizzard and several others, and we were talking about the inexplicable trends that we're all witnessing right now with kids in schools and the constant haranguing of gender identities, even to the extent of kids who haven't even reached puberty yet, demanding they be recognized for whatever identity they've chosen for themselves that day. One parent in the room expressed dismay that a child with whom they are familiar is in a school that has allowed litter boxes in the restroom because a few students have chosen to, quote, identify as animals. Furries, they're called. Another woman talked about the members of her daughter's high school cheerleading squad who have decided to announce to their peers that they are now non-binary. Another woman in the conversation teaches fifth grade, fifth grade, and told how distressed she was that children in her class have announced their preferred pronouns, fifth graders who can't even make legal decisions, are telling their teacher how to identify them. I'm going to tell you very clearly that, in my opinion, the society that can spend time debating whether multiple genders or kids becoming house cats or fifth graders being offended when they're misgendered, the society that has those matters as prominent problems is a society that is actually very blessed. What? Blessed? Yes, blessed. But not in the affirming of those issues as real or important kind of blessed. I'm saying that any such society which means the 2023 United States, is a society that must have so, so, so much that it can only be said to have first world problems. Because you see, in the third world, they're not spending much time on selecting their next favorite made-up genders. 
They are instead trying to put food on the table. In the third world, children are not demanding that adults join them in the fantasy of pretending that boys can be girls, or better yet, that people can be animals, because in the third world, they're more focused on children working in the fields or trying to actually learn to read. See, in the first world, we worry about things like getting a bad haircut or whether or not our phone batteries are going to die or slow internet access or whether our TV remote quits working or if the milk is still fresh. I would submit that those are not really problems so much as they are just annoyances. They are clear indications that we are a society much removed from true problems encountered on a cultural scale. Do we have issues? Sure. Do we have personal crises? Absolutely. But as a nation, as a full culture, we do not have the same problem that we see in other nations, even, even right here in our own hemisphere. Ask yourself this. Ask yourself, when's the last time you heard about the president of Mexico proposing new laws related to the equity of ensuring that the LGBTQIA blah, 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 blah community is hired to break more glass ceilings? Ask yourself, when's the last time you recall the president of Colombia recruiting for his military by running a commercial that touts Susie with two mommies finding her dream of diversity in the Colombian army? Or ask yourself this one, when is the last time you recall hearing that children in Niger, Africa, were able to form a populist movement to prevent being misgendered by their adult teachers or choosing to identify as a water buffalo, and therefore they're in need of alternative restroom facilities? Well, you haven't heard of any of these. You hear of them here in the U.S. because this is a first world, and we are largely spoiled when you think about it. And our society has forgotten that what is important, what is an actual need, is not the same as an actual want. That real injuries to life, limb, and property are more important than perceived injuries to your feelings or emotions over the prurient and uncomfortable desire to be something that you're not. In the end, I will say that if you agree that these are first world problems, that it doesn't do away with the squeaky wheels demanding to be greased, they're going to keep on trying. Those first world sycophants and social media influencers are still going to try to convince children and adults with childlike emotions that they can choose to be that which science defies them to be. And our job is not to condemn, but then neither are required to condone. Much like my friend who was... Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, covering all of North Alabama, solid conservative and just plain right, making it cool to be a conservative. Uh, we were sitting here uh, shooting the breeze during the break, and uh, and I was I was pointing out that you know that conversation that I mentioned a moment ago in my monologue, uh, talking about you know people saying you know, and I'm a fifth grade teacher, and I got these things happening. I will say this: that fifth grade teacher, um, she she literally. In a loving way, by the way, and and and, and, I, and that's that's a thing. There's a fine line between, you know, you know, blasting someone and and just saying no. I mean, you're allowed to say no when when culture demands that you take a turn. You're allowed to say no, no, I'm not going to do that. How you do it matters. But this teacher who loves her kids, these fifth grade kids, told them, no, I'm not going to be changing your pronouns. We're not doing that. Not in my classroom. And then she got a little bit of blowback from the central office, and um, but she stood her ground, and everything's been fine. So I I will, I will say this, uh, and I and I I affirmed her, and I told her I said you did exactly the right thing. And and here's the other thing I said this the other day on the show, 
when that happens, when that teacher in love and common sense looks at a child and says, no, actually, you're not a cat and we're not going to play like you are. So stop pretending and let's get back to class. And I love you just the way you are. Let's move on. And when, when, when they do that, if they get in trouble for it, which just boggles my mind, to be honest with you, when that happens, we got to get their back, man. We do. We cannot be the community that says, well, make sure we say no to that. And then when someone actually says no to that, you know, play me the crickets, Boomer. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not what you need to have. So Boomer and I were just talking about it, too, that um, a school that he and I are both uh, very familiar with, a Christian school, actually, uh, allegedly has some cheerleaders that are, um, you know, claiming to be non-binary or gay. And, 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 uh, and, and so I, I look at that and think, you know what, the, 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 at least, though, they're in a place. Because what did you say, Boomer, during the show, during the break, you said something like uh, you, you'd like to think they're, that's not going to be the environment you're sending your kids to? Right. You, you would like to think that would be an environment. You're, you're, you're basically keeping your children safe. Yeah. In that environment. Making a choice for them for an environment that's more insulated. Right. Yeah. I, I, I get that. And, and But at the same time, it doesn't mean that the world doesn't chase you to those places sometimes. And, mm-hmm. and, and But but I think the, the difference, though, is at the very least, the parents have made a choice to at least be in a place where it's not the official position. Like sometimes you're seeing school systems where it becomes the official position that you will recognize the 11-year-old has a right to a pronoun that does not match the reality. Mm. Um, but at the very least, that school uh, that we're, you know, that we're both familiar with, um, that's not the official policy there. Yeah. Uh, so, and it never will be. Um, yeah, but that, that's, all, that's all going on around us right now. So here's the other thing, too. I, I really think it's important. Uh, and I say this, you know, when we talk on this show that I want to I do more than just tell you what the problems are. I want to tell you what I think is a possible solution. One of the possible solutions, of course, is, like I said a moment ago, say no. You know, wait, wait, we're not going down that road. No, I'm sorry. No, uh, little Johnny, little Susie, your name is little Johnny or little Susie, and you're a boy and you're a girl, and that's, that's reality. You're misgendering me. You're dead naming me. No, I'm actually not. I'm loving you. I'm telling you that you're awesome the way God made you. I don't feel the need to help you perpetrate the idea that you're a mistake because I don't believe God makes mistakes. I mean, picture this sample conversation. You're talking to a 14-year-old who's troubled, and they want to tell you that today, uh, even though they've been a guy for 14 years, they are now a girl, and they want you to change their name and use a different uh, pronoun. Tell them, you know, I understand that you think that you want to go down that road, but I'm not going there with you. What do you mean? You're going to dead name me. You're going to, you're going to make me feel less important. You're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to demean me. No, actually, I'm not. I'm affirming you. I think you were born awesome. I think you were born perfect. I think you were born the way you're supposed to be. And for you to try and say that you're not is like you saying you're a mistake. So I'm telling you, I don't agree with you. I don't agree you're a mistake. And I think that's the thing that we have to do is we have to, we have to remind ourselves that when we tell a kid no on something like that, that we can at the same time tell them that the reason why we're saying no is that not only do we not agree with that, but that we also don't agree that they're a mistake, that we, we believe that they were right to begin with. And for them to say that they need to be recognized different is like them saying, and I'm a mistake, therefore I'll always be a victim. So don't do it. Don't go down that road. 
And then the next piece is, folks, I'm telling you right now, when a right-side ruffian out there says, you know what, I love those kids, and I'm not going to call my nephew that, or I'm not going to call my students that, or I'm not going to go down that road despite what the school board may say, or I'm not doing that ever when it comes to, you know, those people that, that, that attend the, the YMCA where I teach gymnastics to kids or whatever, then when, when someone takes that stand and says, I affirm that child for who they are and not for who they want to pretend they are, then we have got to be willing to stand next to them when they get called on the carpet for it, because they will. There are some places where it's still cool, most places actually, where it's still cool to, to say no to that. But in some places right now where people's jobs can be called on the carpet because they dare to misgender an 11-year-old, we have got to be willing as a community to go stand beside them and say, stop the madness. We're not doing this. This is not our society. And, and that's, that's too often, too often the silent majority stays silent at the risk of becoming the minority. Woo, write that down, Boomer. Um, and that's, that's, we cannot do it, y'all. We cannot. Man, the phone lines or the text lines have lit up on this one, uh, so I will I will get back to those when we get back from the break. We're also going to be diving right into the first part of the Triple Dipper when I get back, tuition wars. What the heck, man? So Biden wants to pay off student loans. Is that really the problem? Don't think so. Y'all stay tuned. We'll talk about it. Tuition wars, number one of the Triple Dipper. We'll be right back. side ruffians out there you are listening to right side radio solid conservative just plain right i'm digging that one we're back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, covering all of North Alabama, solid, conservative, and just plain right, covering down on some major ground across the northern half of the beautiful, beautiful state of Alabama, talking about going way on down south of Birmingham to up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back to Gaston, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi, thrown in just for good measure. Text lines are open. You want to text in, we will take them. Uh, the number here, you can call it or text it, 833 687 Four 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 eight. That's eight three three six eight. Right, and uh, so hey, Boomer. By the way, somebody um, and his name is Champ. We don't have a location yet. Champ, tell us where you're from. But Champ just texted in. Brand new texter says, uh, "Hey guys, could you put the camels woohoo on the website?" He said it'd be awesome to hear it when we visit the website. <laughs> we we will take a look at that, Champ. I uh, appreciate you very much uh, for listening. Thanks for being in the in the uh, text line now. Um, uh, John from Huntsville says, I saw a video on the internet that makes me wonder what's wrong with this country. It seriously showed a preacher saying that Jesus may be gay. 
Well, he's not. Uh, let's be real clear. And and John, I agree with you. That's the kind of thing that that's the kind of thing that first world does to religion. But um, uh, anyway, um, uh, there is a uh, you may be referring to John the uh, the um, uh, the Anglican Church, I believe it is in England, um, recently came out and said some things like that, and they were denounced. Um, but uh, anyway, more to come. Uh, parts guy from Albertville, parts guy. This quote scripture, he says, Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's way pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Uh, there you go. Uh, JT from Lacey Springs, he said, uh, first world concerns equal snowflake jackassery. <laughs> um, he said, whoever identifies as a cat needs to go outside and scratch around in the dirt. Uh, there you go. It's, uh, yeah. Um, Jeremy from Huntsville just said, um, with regards to the monologue, he says, the pursuit of happiness is not the guarantee of happiness. And you are correct, sir. Uh, all right. Hey, folks, you want to uh, you want to text in? We'll take it. 833-687-4448. So let me jump over here for a bit to the uh, first part of the Triple Dipper. And the way, by the way, what we're going to do is top of the hour. We're going to break from that to have a discussion with John Wall, who is the chairman of the Alabama Republican Party when he calls in. But let me let me do this first. The tuition wars. You may recall that last week we had uh, my friend Matt Clark from the Alabama Center for Law and Liberty call in and talk about the case before the Supreme Court of the United States that's dealing with um, you know, Biden's attempt to bail out people who have student loans. And so, yeah, I mean, I look, I'm offended by that. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we worked hard to raise our kids, to get them every aspect of their education that they needed. Our kids were both incredibly smart. Both of them received academic scholarships. My son also received a military scholarship. Uh, then we, you know, we were still on the hook, though, for uh, living expenses and things we had to pay for for them. And it was nonetheless still very expensive. But I, I will tell you this, both my kids were able to, because of their merit, uh, graduate without student loan debt. And that's a huge blessing. I look back to when Charlene and I went through. I went through uh, college on an Army scholarship, didn't have any student loan debt when I graduated. Uh, she, on the other hand, did have a student loan, which we worked hard to pay off. And I, I look at this and I think, okay, I get it. Biden's just got the whole mentality of if I throw more money at it, it's going to get better. Whoop, whoop. Well, that's, that's not always the case. Um, and it's certainly not the case. In fact, liberals rarely have that piece right. What's the primary issue? Why is there a need to hand out tranches of ten dollars and $20,000 to people who got their degree in underwater basket weaving and now can't find a job. Why? Why do we need that? Well, first of all, because they got a freaking degree in underwater basket weaving. It was a bad decision on their part. They, they chose to go down a road. They chose, keyword, they chose to go down a road. They gave them a worthless degree at times. Other times, though, they may have a degree that potentially could, you know, earn them a, a, a living, but they've incurred so much debt in doing so that you have to question why they chose to sign voluntarily on the dotted line to incur that loan. And if, having done so, they are now indebted, why is it our responsibility to pay that off for them? Now, if you can show me fraud, or if you can show me that in some way there was a, a, you know duress or coercion in signing the loan, I'm, I'm open to hearing that. But the vast majority of what we're hearing, though, y'all, is not that. The vast majority of what is out there in terms of student loan debt is a voluntary plan to enter into a voluntary loan to pay for a college education they couldn't otherwise afford. 
Mm. Was it an investment in their future? If so, then I want to know, did the colleges take any kind of steps to ensure that what they were doing was helping these kids with a degree program that was certified in some way to provide a, um, a, an increased likelihood of, of, of a good living? Or did they just say, oh, you want that degree in underwater basket weaving? Sure, man. Uh, here, this is the cost. Uh, tell us if we need to let the bank know you're okay. That kind of, that kind of, that kind of crap has happened a lot. Here's the other thing that's happened a lot. When the colleges don't have any, any, I mean like any, inhibition about raising tuition rates because they know that the student loan program is guaranteed and it's going to pay no matter what they raise the rates to, then we got a whole other problem. Let's talk about that for a second. Piece here on SCOTUS blog, just to remind you where we are right now in the legal action. SCOTUS blog, uh, as of this past uh, Thursday, I believe, says Supreme Court appeared skeptical of the Biden administration's student loan debt relief program. Three and a half hours of oral arguments, which is a long time, by the way. A majority of the justices appeared unconvinced that Congress intended to give the Secretary of Education the power to adopt the program, which, by the way, has an estimated price tag of $400 billion. Says so Biden announced the debt relief program to forgive up to $20,000 in loans for qualifying borrowers. At that point, student loan repayments had already been on hold for two years. There's the other thing. People signed up for a loan. They couldn't make the payments. COVID came along. They got two years of deferments. Just, you don't have to pay that right now. It's hard. COVID world, COVID world's hard. You don't have to make that payment. Meanwhile, people that own private businesses are like suffering losing their businesses, you know, tr trying the best thing they're going to make, make ends meet in all the COVID shutdowns and vaccine mandates. But, you know, if you got a student loan, you got two years of deferment. So you, you got the, the, the president of the United States and the, and the Department of Education relying upon COVID law, though, to allow them to wipe out student loans, just wipe them out. Meanwhile, one state, Missouri, stood up and other states joined them in saying, you know, no, 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 that creates a hardship on us because the state helps administer some of that, and we're going to wind up seeing a loss to state revenues. What the heck? Well, that being said, the court's liberal justices, when they heard the arguments, they were pretty dubious. They appear to, you know, wonder whether or not the, um, the, the, the standing was there for Missouri to actually file the claim. But the plurality of the court, the, the majority of it, went on to sort of question, though, whether or not this was actually authorized. Can we even see this happen? Does the executive branch have the right to unilaterally make decisions about spending dollars that were in no way anticipated when the COVID laws went into place? All right, that being said, uh, I'm going to spend some time unpacking this. And if we have to, we'll do it uh, before and after our call with John Wall. I can see right now I got some callers on the line, so let me do that real quick. Uh, line one, uh, Lee from Huntsville. Hey, Lee, how you doing? Oh, boomers hitting buttons. Hey, Lee, how you doing? Sorry. I'm good. Um, enjoying your show. Thank you. And I wanted to say, so college costs have increased incrementally, especially since more federal money has become available over the last 30, 40 years, right? Right, right. Um, because if the government's handing out money, um, the universities are just going to jack up the cost accordingly. And they're going to, you know, my nephew went to Alabama 
um, the the campus is amazing, and there's all these multi multi million dollar you know buildings and all. They're just trying to attract all these students with every amenity you can possibly imagine. When I went to college in the '90s, oh, we had none of that. So um, the thing is, they're uh, they're they're addressing the symptom, not the disease. Um, they're addressing the symptom by just handing out some money for people, I guess, who owe money right now. But what about people who just paid off their loans or people who are just about to get loans? It's, it's a never-ending um, thing. They'll have to keep doing it in order to make people happy just over and over and over. Um, but the thing is, is the disease is why is it so expensive? And I think because colleges have no skin in the game, um, they don't care. They just want to take the money and they'll put you in any degree you want to get, even with zero chance of actually, you know, getting a job. So um, I think you, colleges need to be responsible. They, you, they need to have to tie on, uh, sign on for some of the debt. I think that would, that would stop some of the, the need to I – I, you, you see what I'm saying? Like if they were responsible for half the debt, yeah. you wouldn't see this type of reckless spending. No, I, I think, um, you're, I think well, you're right. I think they need to certify the programs they're in, too, as being programs yeah. worthy of getting a loan. Exactly. And and this all ties back into symptom and disease. When you're talking about these children, my sister works in a school here. Um, there's several children there, all girls, who identify as or trying to as boys. And um, the, the, we're again to the symptom, not the disease. Why? No one seems to want to address the underlying mental issues of why they feel that way or why society and social pressures are pushing them to think the best thing for them is to cut off their own breath. It's insane. Um, and, and they're telling them, oh, do you feel uncomfortable in your own body? I mean, like, what the hell 12-year-old does that, you know? Yeah. Um, so they're taking common common experiences at the time, uh, right before, during puberty, right after, and then making the, and telling these children, oh, are you having this? Well, this means maybe you're not the right gender. Garbage. Complete garbage. Uh, and uh, we used to have a vetting process with our psychiatry. You know, they used to have a vetting process on when someone would be um, transgender and be able to get a, a sex change. And it was a whole lot older than middle school, and it was years. And now they're just handing out, you know, stuff like candy. It's insane. Well, it is insane. Absolutely is insane. And, 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 I, and, Lee, I hate it, but I got another caller on the line I got to get to for a break. But you're, you're spot on, as always. So um, uh, stay in the fight, my friend. Oh, wow. She's, she's, she nailed it. Uh, let me jump to line two, though. Uh, Brian from Huntsville. Brian, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing reasonably well. And Lee, like you said, spot on. And I've got some similar things going on. But beyond that, my wife and I made sure that after any scholarships and everything, that both of our girls could get through college with no student debt. Why should I have to pay for other people's kids that have student debt? Or better yet, why should anybody who chose not to have kids have to pay for other people's kids' student debt? My kids are mine. I am responsible, not the rest of the universe. Uh, you, you, you you named it. I mean, you, you nailed it, brother. I mean, you're, you're talking about the era of personal responsibility being gone, and I think we have to bring it back. Uh, what you just what you just I declared there was the fact that you, as a parent, chose to make the decision so that other parents wouldn't have to bear the burden. And um, I, and but yeah, well, I, I 
chose to have them to begin with. Yeah. That, and that, I love them. Yep. Absolutely. Um, Y'all all have right. a blessed day. See you, Brian. All right, Boomer, take us to a break, man. I ran a minute and a half long, but uh, we'll do that break. Come right back. Keep this conversation going. I can tell it got some reaction. Uh, I can look at the text lines until it got some reaction. But um, nonetheless, uh, more to come on this. And then top of the hour, we'll pause and take a call from uh, Chairman John Wall from the Alabama Republican Party. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. Yeah, little scorpions. Got all those new bumps in here, brother. Just, just, <laughs> I'm digging it. Um, all right, hey, listen, uh, the text lines are open. Uh, Donna from Coleman just texted in and said, uh, not all student loans are federal loans. That's true. That is true. Some of them are private and not subject to federal regulations or rules. We we who once had them did not get a two-year deferment like those who are paying on federal student loans. That's a great point. I had, Donna, I had not even thought of this. Thank you very much. She said, I paid off all of mine last summer. Federal student loan holders must pay back what they owe or face the consequences if they default. I, I totally, you know, that, that had totally escaped me, Donna, and I appreciate you bringing that up because there are people who took out a line of credit on their In fact, why, how did I forget this? That's how, part of how I paid for law school. So I had GI Bill. And then, oh, by the way, that wasn't enough for law school because we, I did law school, law school late in life. I was in my 30s before I went to law school, believe it or not. And so I, I, we had the student loan. I mean, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, we had the uh, GI Bill. And then I took out a second mortgage on our house and used that to help pay for tuition. And, and that would not be a federal student loan. Perfect point, Donna from Coleman, that people are borrowing money to pay for their education and receiving no consideration at all from Joe Biden. None. Nada. And here's the other piece of this. This is the other part of the argument that, that, that this is absolutely not equitable, to use his word. Is, is the, what about the folks who, who went out there and decided to get into the trades? You know, or Like I know a guy who um, opened a plumbing business. He's making a good, good, good living. But he's got a line of credit that he has to pay off all the tools and the, and, the, and the materials he had to buy. He had to have a work van to haul everything around in. Who's paying that off? What if he has, what if he has a loan related to starting an actual business that currently employs people and pays taxes? Is there any consideration for him? Of course not. No. We just need to make sure the underwater basket weaving degree is forgiven if you had a federally backed student loan. Well, so peace here in the Daily Caller. Daily Caller, time for the SCOTUS to take down the college cartel. Mm, interesting. Lee from Huntsville almost, you know, kind of kind of got into my notes a minute ago, but she was she was headed there in, 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 and she was naming it that there is right now, in fact, I'll just I'll go to the article. Biden's student loan bailout gives colleges a blank check to continue overcharging students. If colleges know taxpayers will pick up the tab for their outrageous costs, they will have no reason to reform. Colleges have increased tuition at more than double the inflation rate over the past few decades. Double the inflation rate. 
The average tuition at private nonprofit universities is now $50,000 a year. As, as Boomer sits here knowing his children are young, thinking, holy cow, my grandbabies, I'm thinking, holy cow. Says, as, as a result, American colleges are sitting on $700 billion in endowments. Good Lord. And it's, it's, but it's true. Meanwhile, like Lee said, the facilities they continue to build because it's a competitive environment. When, when, when the University of Alabama is trying to woo students to come there and they know they got to compete with Auburn and UNA and USA and Troy and all the others here for in-state tuition uh, respondents, what do they do? New climbing walls, awesome. New theaters, cool. Massive food courts, awesome. Guess what? Those all cost money. So what do they do? They raise the rate of tuition, knowing that student loans will cover the cost, and that they'll, they'll wind up having any number of people that want to come there because the stadium is the biggest. Does that really provide an education? No, it provides an environment, but not necessarily an education. But yet, they're now just sitting idly by going, nothing to see here as he bails out student loans. Whoop, whoop. Never mind, our tuition is, like this says right here, and I'll give you more in a minute. Tuition is now more than double the inflation rate over the past few decades. So under the guise, it says, of continued increased access to higher education, colleges also, more often than not, prey on minority families who desperately want a better life for their children. But yet black Americans face loan balances nearly twice as high as white counterparts. The Biden administration is apparently siding with big college over regular folks and minorities. Well, and it points out, like I said, a lot of fat can be trimmed from college budgets. If they'll do it, if they'll do it. But right now, they've got no reason to do it. There is no skin in that game. There is no reason for colleges to say, well, we, we can lower the cost of tuition and just make this an easier environment to deal with. Maybe you can get more for your student loan. Or how about this? We will agree that programs have to be certified. Kind of like when you buy a house. You can't buy a trash house and expect the bank to loan you the money on it. You got to buy a house that the, the bank looks at and deems worthy of the investment. How about doing the same thing with student loans? Underwater basket weaving? I'm sorry, that's a no. You want to get a medical degree? We can work with you. All right, folks, we got more on this, but we're going to pause that conversation and come back to it later after we have our conversation with Alabama chairman of the Republican Party, John Wall. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. side ruffians out there you are listening to right side radio solid conservative just plain right you're listening live to right side radio with phil williams it's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side right side radio solid conservative and just plain right (laughs) 
Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio. Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, we got the local, the state, the national, all of the issues. And like the dude just said, we cover down on them solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, hey, we're going to pause the the conversation right now about tuition wars. Number one of the Triple Dipper tuition wars, the the question of Biden wants to pay off student loans. He wants to bail out everybody in the world who got their underwater basket weaving degree. Never mind the fact that some people have loans that were not federally backed. If he could pay those off? No. Uh, Never mind that some people uh, started their business instead of going to school. Did they get anything? No. Or what about the fact that, like Brian from Huntsville a minute ago, who called in and said, I spent years working hard to be able to pay off my kids' education. Why do I have to pay off somebody else who didn't plan accordingly? All great questions. We're not done with that topic. We'll come right back to the question of why tuition remains so high, and yet Biden and the Democrats want to bail people out. All right. I'm putting that aside for a moment because this is a big week. Uh, in, in political circles, this is a very big week here in Alabama. Number one, the state legislature goes into session tomorrow. Number two, Governor Ivey gives her state of the state a speech, I believe it's tomorrow night, a Wednesday at the latest. Number three, the Alabama Republican Party is hosting its uh, major uh, spring dinner on Thursday night, and the speaker is probably going to wind up being a presidential candidate, Governor Ron DeSantis. So without further ado, I want to bring in uh, Chairman John Wall from the Alabama Republican Party, who was recently reelected to another term to serve as party chairman. Chairman Wall, how are you doing today? You know, doing very well, and it's always great to be on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for making time. And, uh, and yeah, this is, this is a fairly big week in Alabama Republican politics in terms of, you know, the voicing the concerns, the agendas, you know, getting things going in the legislature. And i got to ask you right off the bat, uh, tell us about Thursday night and what you're anticipating with uh, Governor DeSantis being here as a keynote. Uh, you know, I, I'm super excited about the opportunity because for me, this is this is more than just having a, a guest speaker. Uh, you know, we're talking about a, a figure within the party that took what is traditionally a swing state, you know, that we, we as Republicans hope to win by three or four percent. And he won it by 20 points. Wow. And yeah. I think you have to you know, you kind of got to go past that initial um question, okay, you have a, a literally, literally America's governor, but why? What did he do that made that kind of impact, that, that swung swing voters, picked up independents, picked up Democrats, pulled Republicans out? What was that message? Um, and what I love about that is I think this is the recipe for the Republicans, for Republicans moving forward. At least that's my opinion. Um, you know, we kind of had a very similar message here in Alabama with the Alabama Republican Party. Um, and it was this message of defend people's rights. Um, say no to a Biden administration that has lost their minds, you know, when they're trying to vaccine people against their will. No, just common sense. No, Alabama passed a law against that. Florida, Ron DeSantis stood up to that. Um, When they're trying to indoctrinate our children um, and teach them all kinds of woke policies, the answer is no. Like, we're going to protect our children. Um, And, and, you know, going into the economy, pumping trillions of dollars into our economy and then being somehow surprised there's inflation. No. No. You know, these, these are these are crazy policies that won't work. And I think what we saw in Ron DeSantis was, was a person who put forth a common-sense approach that put the people first and defended them and their rights, and that resonated with the public. And that's what I'm looking forward to hearing Thursday night. It's kind of that, that vision and that, that ideas 
I'm being presented. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. I I, I look forward to, to joining you in the evening. Uh, Charlene and I are both planning to be there. But um, l- let me ask you this: um, He is not necessarily a declared candidate, although the the prevailing wisdom is that he is very likely going to declare. So I guess the first thing I'll ask you is he going to is he going to announce his candidacy at the Alabama Republican dinner? And then secondly, <laughs> um, do you anticipate him being a candidate in the race? I'm not asking for an endorsement. I mean, just do you think he will? And, and I think the second one is an excellent question. I, I don't think we'll see any announcements, um, any announcements uh, Thursday night. Although you never know. Look, one, one thing I learned: I never tell my speakers what to say. So um, th- there's that. But no, I, I don't expect any announcement Thursday. But I, I know there are a lot of people, both here in Alabama and across the country, who would love to see him run. Um, so that's definitely a talking point. I think it's something we're going to be watching. Um, I, I think we'll, I think we'll know a lot more. Kind of once we get past the legislative session in Florida, you know, I, he, he's still he's still a sitting governor, still doing a lot of good work, and so I think that's kind of that's still his priority is getting that job done. Well, and rightfully so. And I want to come back to that in just a minute. Let me ask you this though, uh, with regards to the dinner itself, in case any of our listeners uh, are, are interested in attending the dinner that haven't gotten a ticket yet, is the are the ticket sales closed out? And what kind of attendance are you looking at? No, I'm glad you brought that up because we are probably literally shutting the ticket sales down tonight at midnight or, or tomorrow morning. So, yes, if people still want tickets, they are available um, probably the last day at our, at the Re- Republican Party's website, which is ALGOP.org. Okay. All right. Great. And the location, remind me again, it's in Hoover, I believe, right? That is correct. So we're going to be at the Hoover Met um, kind of complex at the Finley Center. Okay. So the Finley Center in Hoover. Okay. All right. Well, well, listen, you, you mentioned a moment ago that, of course, Governor DeSantis, your keynote at the, at the, at the dinner, he still has a job. He's still the governor of Florida. And, and you mentioned him a moment ago as uh, the nation's governor, so to speak. Um, so one of the things that's really struck me is I can find articles out there when I prep the show every day that say things like Governor Ron DeSantis meeting with his leadership of the legislature to put forward an agenda. You know, or, or he'll say something, he'll get out in front of an issue and say, this is an issue that I'm calling on my legislature to address. And, and I'm not asking for you to, to say anything about, you know, Governor Ivey, but I'm not hearing that, me personally, here in Alabama as much as I would like. And the legislature goes into session tomorrow. Are you, as the party chairman, seeing or hearing anything related to true coordination on conservative policy issues between our executive and legislative branch as they go in tomorrow for session? You know, there, there's definitely um, there is some coordination, and 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 I I expect I think there's a good chance we're going to see the potential for a special uh, session, yeah. or at least a, a priority placed on the ARPA funds at the beginning of the session, um, and that's the main coordination right now that I'm hearing um, is more on the the financial side and the, and the ARPA funds. Um, I hope. And certainly, expect, you know, definitely hope moving forward that that will that will grow into some other policy issues. You know, things like school choice. Um, the governor mentioned that in her state, uh, you know, in her inauguration speech. Um, the lieutenant governor mentioned that in his inauguration speech, and I think that that's an issue that I would love to see them kind of take a lead on, um, and, and work with the legislature to get get, get that across the finish line this session. Um, and of course, there's other policy things. I was very impressed with the governor about a month ago. She put out a executive order on religious liberty. Yeah. Um, read that was very much impressed with, with the wording, the tone, the understanding of people's rights and freedoms. Um, and yeah, I would love to see her, you know, working with the legislature on some of these issues where people are struggling right now. Um, and, and I think nothing highlights, you know, nothing is being highlighted more right now than, than parental control 
and involvement in their children's education. Yeah. I don't think we can state that highlight. I think if you look at the, whether it's Glenn Youngkin's race in Virginia, um, what Ron DeSantis has done in Florida, this is the biggest issue driving the votes with the American people right now. Um, and so I really hope we see a, a focus towards that in this legislative session from both the executive and legislative branches. Well, I, and, and I agree. And I, and I would hope there would also be some tax relief mixed in. Uh, I would hope there would also be uh, some some issues related to uh, uh, crime or, or soft on crime policies or, you know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, we, we saw on the national scale, we saw Mayor Lori Lightfoot lose her reelection bid as the only mayoral you know, office to lose a reelection in over 40 years in Chicago. A lot of people attribute that to soft on crime policies. So you now have a new national position with the party. Are you guys seeing national trends like that or other things that besides uh, school choice uh, that, that you can, you can mention? Oh, 100%. You know, you, you have, you have parental rights that's, that's, that's very high, but then you also have issues like absolutely protecting our communities. You know, it's hard for me to believe we look at a Democrat party that openly advocates for defunding our police you know, taking away people's protection from criminals. Um, so I think that is a massive issue. And uh, it's something that, that here in Alabama, I know we were, uh, the party just passed a resolution in support of legislation that would strengthen um, some of our laws as far as early releases um, and the good time laws that really need to be addressed, really need to be looked at and, um, and strengthen in areas where we're seeing violent criminals be released with a third of their sentence carried out sometimes, yeah. even when those people are are attempting to, you know, making attempted escapes or, co- or or committing other violent crimes while incarcerated, and those are the types of people we don't need to be turning back out on the streets. No, t- 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 totally agree, and I'm and I'm hoping that what we saw in Lightfoot losing her election was even even in a Democrat stronghold that they're getting tired of seeing those kind of policies. Um, oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think that was highlighted this cycle in Alabama. You know, we did not have the red wave we want to see across the country, but we did in Alabama. And a lot of those areas were, were county school boards and um, sheriff races. We flipped seven sheriff races across the state. Uh, um, and, and a lot of that was with the message of protecting, protecting our communities, not defunding the police, that we believe in the rule of law, um, and that we believe in protecting people's rights and freedoms, including their right to keep in their arms. Yeah, well, absolutely. And Alabama has led the way on some of that. And uh, and I'm hopeful, though, that we're also going to see Alabama become because I would say that I would say that in, in, in state politics, Alabama is is, you know, above reproach when it comes to the social or cultural issues. You know, we, we're fighting for things like, you know, the, the Vulnerable Child uh, Protection Act about transgender therapies on minors. We're, we're fighting for things like, you know, Second Amendment freedoms. Um, where I feel like we're lacking right now is in some fiscal relief. So with about a minute left, do you have any indication that we're going to see something in terms of tax reform or tax relief for citizens in this particular session? Oh, I certainly hope so. You, you know, what I'll, you're talking to the Republican Party chairman. We would love to see cutting some, some of the regulation and some of the tax burden on our citizens. Um, we're overregulated, we're overtaxed, and very much hope to see some of these surpluses return to the people, who, which is where this money originally came from. Yeah, well, absolutely. Mr. Chairman, uh, you got a big week, a uh, lot, lot, lot of big doings on your side. We appreciate you squeezing in some time for us to carry on Right Side Radio. So thanks, thanks for coming on today. No, no, always a pleasure. Always good to be on the right side when I'm on the radio. <laughs> Outstanding. We're going to use that as a, uh, as a, as a filler on the show. <laughs> All right. Chairman John Wall, Alabama Republican Party, we appreciate your time. You have a great day, sir.
All right, he's gone. Um, yeah, so listen, and Boomer, you can go and take us to the break, man, but, uh, but that, that's, that is a big week. In state politics, you've got the legislature going into session, the governor addressing the state in her state of the state address, and the state Republican Party bringing in a potential future presidential candidate to speak Thursday night. That's a, that's a lot right there. Uh, is the Democrat Party still in Alabama? I think they are. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back. We are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative and just plain right. You're playing my high school stuff, man. You're playing my high school stuff. Hey, that's I mean, just some good You start slinging out some right ZZ Top Eliminator <laughs> album music. I mean, that's just good. Every girl's crazy about a sharp dress. And we all said that, too, by the way. We would go to the prom, and somebody would always say, every girl's crazy about a sharp dress, man, because the boys from ZZ Top said so. That's why. Uh, hey, uh, by the way, the text lines are open. You want to text in or call in. The number is 833-687-4448. That's 833-68-RIGHT. And uh, we got we got plenty to talk about because, I mean, dang, we're halfway through the show. We're still only in number one of the Triple Dipper. Um, and I'm curious, is there anybody out there who really, 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 really wants to pay for somebody else's college tuition? Because if you are, I want to hear from you. I'm pretty sure there's very few of you. But if, if, you, if you've got a notion that you think that paying off college tuition is the way to go, and by the way, it doesn't have to be that you personally want to pay it off. How about this? Do you support Biden's student loan bailout? If so, tell us why. Be prepared to you know, sort of debate the issue a little bit. Tell, tell me why you think it's a good idea for people to um, save for years and pay their way through college only to have somebody else get theirs paid off for no other reason except that the president thought that was a good idea. Or if you're one of those who believes that you have worked hard and started a business or your friend or your kids started a business and, and, and they've, they're, they're productive and they're employing other people and they had to take out loans to be able to do it. I mean, I've been in that position a law firm is a business. You got to have a line of credit to buy new computers and things like that. You got to have loans in place sometimes to be able to run a bit. Right side radio. You got to have a line of credit for the for the months that advertising revenue is not where you want it to be, and so you you bring it back up with a float from the uh, line of credit. Do you get that paid off? I doubt it. <laughs> in fact, I'm almost positive Biden's not going to pay off anything for right side radio. But you know what I'm saying. So. What about this? What if you're one of those whose kids worked hard and got good grades and earned a scholarship? Do, 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 we, do we look at them and go, you know, we're going to give you some more money so that we can bring it up online here, you know, just give you some more money. I doubt it. So all I'm saying is if you are in this audience and you support the concept of the student loan bailout, please call and tell us why. Then again, if you're in this audience and you believe that college tuition is way too high, tell us what your experience is with that. I can, I can just tell you right now that Charlene and I were in a position where we did everything we could to get our kids in the right spot, but if they had not earned scholarships, we would have had a hard time, a hard time. 
But at the same time, if our kids did not have scholarships and they wanted a worthless degree, we would have looked at them and said, no, no, you're not borrowing money for that. That's a bad idea. So where are the parents when these kids sign up for student loans for degrees that are virtually worthless? I mean, at what point did a parent or someone look at this minor who can't contract for much in life and say, you're 18. Why do you want a degree in underwater basket weaving? That's just not a good idea. So that, that's, that's where we are right now. And I'm going I'm to come back from the break, and I've got some very clear statistics here on how much college tuition has gone up. Because, you see, here's the deal. With no skin in the game and with, with all of education you know, being you know, cared for by student loans and, and potentially even bailouts, you're hearing crickets from the higher ed community, crickets. They keep coming back for their state-funded you know, budget requirements, and then the private colleges keep raising endowments, and, and then you've got you know, tuition going up and new climbing walls being built and new student loan, or excuse me, student, student uh, centers being built and, and dorms that, that you know, are sometimes you know, far and away above what is necessary. I'm gonna tell you right now, my dorm was pretty normal I thought it was cool. Cinder block walls and hardwood furniture and two people to a room. And and I'm just I'm gonna tell you, it was it was it was it was fine. And we dressed that sucker up, man. I went out and bought yard sale furniture and you know, just we 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 fixed that place up best we could. But listen, what we're seeing right now is the spend at the campuses by the campuses is driving up the cost of tuition, and there is zero effort being made by the higher ed community to bring tuition online with the cost of living. And when I read these stats to you when we get back, you'll know that a part of the problem is that higher ed is basically gouging, gouging in some cases, and yet student loans are getting paid off. All right, folks, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, covering some major ground across the northern half of the great state of Alabama. I'm talking about this show goes down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back to Gadsden, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi, thrown in just for good measure with the bumps, Boomer, with the bumps, man. That was a little George Thorogood there, liking it. Um, All right, so let let me throw this out there. CBS News had an article last fall. CBS News. Phil, did you go to CBS? Yes, I did. CBS News. 
says the Biden administration's announcement that up to $20,000 in student loan debt will be canceled for borrowers will bring relief to millions as long as courts allow. But that relief won't do anything to slow the rapidly causing, rapidly rising cost of going to college. I agree. Points out that in 1963 and 64, a long time ago, I can say that because I was born back then, a long time ago, the average annual published cost of in-state tuition and fees was $243. Can you imagine the annual cost of tuition, $243 at a public uh, university? $1,000 roughly at private four-year universities. If the published cost of college remained in line with inflation, that means that annual tuition and fees would have been roughly $2,076 at four-year universities and 8600 at private institutions in the year 20 to 20, 2021. You hear me? 2000 roughly, or 8000 roughly in the year 2021. But instead, the average was 9300 at at four-year institutions. And in a private school, it could generally average 32000 a year. What that basically means is we're seeing a massive exponential increase in tuition costs that does not at all track with cost of living adjustments for uh, inflation. So the net family prices at private colleges for tuition, room, and board came out to somewhere around 33000 when you put everything together, 33000 a year. And then, good Lord, it keeps on going. It says the published price for tuition and fees has increased 102% at public four-year colleges. That's amazing. And so what we're looking at here is, okay, there's no way you can truly, truly justify this, especially when you consider that student loans kicked in and they are not at all matching anything else in the loan world. In loan world, you know the deal. In loan world, you have to have a cosigner if necessary if your credit's not good. So you run credit checks on people. Oh, what about this? In borrowing for a home mortgage, let's say you're building a new house. The, the bank's going to want to see the house and get progress reports from the contractor and validate that they're investing in the right thing. Oh, validation. Or what about this? If you're just borrowing money for a home in general, you may have to not only have a credit application of your own, you may have to have something that allows you the opportunity to get a rate based upon your credit scores. Does that happen in the student loan world? Hmm. And then on top of that, you have to look at what are they actually investing in? Is this something that the, the bank's underwriters are going to look at, like, say, a business, and they're going to say, you know, that business does appear to have strong history, or that business does appear to have the ability to um, compete in today's market, or that business is run by somebody who we're comfortable with who will personally guarantee it. Do they do that? Well, when you're borrowing money for a worthless degree, you have to look at it and go, who are the lenders in this process? And oh, by the way, does the college feel no shame? Article here on 1819 News here in Alabama that came out today. Here's the headline. You ready? In-state tuition up 300 to 700% at Alabama public four-year colleges since 1990. Wow. So Will Blakely over at 1819 wrote this piece. He says, according to Education Data Initiative, an average college tuition and fee rates in the United States have increased 130% after, since 1990 after adjusting for inflation. 
but Alabama colleges appear to exceed that rate. Says Americans now owe almost $1.75 trillion in student loans. And through an executive order, of course, he says Biden created a debt forgiveness plan. But, of course, the Supreme Court is considering that right now. But Troy University, so Troy University and um, I believe Faulkner both have very conservative um, um, economic centers. Troy University's Johnson Center for Political Economy, the director there is a guy named Alan Mendenhall. I know Alan. He's a good guy. Says the availability of student loans has incentivized universities to raise their tuition prices. Mm. He says the ready availability of federal student loans historically has increased the supply of students. Therefore, universities have responded (laughs) by increasing the price of a college degree. This example is the perfect illustration of the economic reality that supply curves slope upward. And then the Charles G. Koch, that's K-O-C-H, Koch Professor of Economics uh, with the Johnson Center, Dan Sutter. I know Dan, too. I've met him before. He's a good dude. Uh, written a lot of stuff for the Alabama Policy Institute. He says this, quote, federal student loans encourage states to reduce funding and let universities raise tuition. So, yeah, the state budgets can reduce the amount that they're paying into the systems because they don't have to worry about it because money's flooding in from federally backed student loans. So 1819 News went out there and collected data on Alabama's universities. Let me, just, let me just pick your alma mater. How about University of North Alabama? In 1990, it cost $1,152. UNA up there in Florence. My dad graduated from there back when it was Florence State in the 60s. So you know, and my dad was a trustee there at one point. But in 1990, tuition was $1,152. In 2021, Tuition was $9,600. That's a 733% increase. 733% increase at UNA. Wow. How about this? That's for in-state tuition, by the way. How about this? Jacksonville State University, right over here in Northeast Alabama. Jacksonville State University. In-state tuition back in 1990, $1,200. 2021, $9,720. That's a 710% increase. Wow. Pick one, Boomer. Which, uh, name me a university. Which one do you want? Oh, let's – Troy, have you done Troy? I have not done Troy. Where is Troy on this list? Troy University, number yeah. eight on the list. 1990, in-state tuition, $1,435. 2021, $9,312, a 540% increase. Oh. Holy smokes. How about uh, University of Alabama? Oh, yeah. Come let's on. do that. Let's, let's, do it. let's see what it is. Number nine on the list. Ooh. 1990, in-state tuition was $1,725. 2021, $10,780. That's a 524% increase in in-state Man. tuition. My soul. Oh, my soul. Ooh. Charlene hates it when I say that. Oh, my soul. <laughs> you sound like an old man. Don't say that. Oh, my soul. Uh, my alma mater, University of South Alabama. In-state tuition in 1990, $1,875. 2021, in-state tuition, $8,256, a 340% increase. I mean, Alabama A&M, UAB, uh, Auburn University of Montgomery, uh, UAB or UAH up in Huntsville. UAH, let's do UAH since a lot of our listeners are in the Huntsville market. UAH, in-state tuition, 1990, $1,815. 2021 in-state tuition, $9,730, a 436% increase in tuition. So, folks, here's the deal. If student loans are going to get bailed out or student loans are going to perpetuate, 
and there's zero accountability for the colleges, what are they going to do? They're going to keep building facilities, they're going to raise tuition, and they're going to just love it because they get fat. Somewhere along the line, higher ed needs to say, you know what, maybe we should do something different. Maybe we should get in line with, I don't know, inflation, get in line with cost of living adjustments. Because then you have things like if you're not careful, they can get too fat and then get ahead of themselves like Birmingham Southern. Story here on February 15th, you may recall that Birmingham Southern is pleading for support to keep its door open. If the school closes, Jefferson County's revenue, it says, would take a big hit. A study from an independent economist found that Birmingham Southern College brings in more than $70 million to Jefferson County. But what do they want right now? They want $37 million from the state government to keep their doors open because they got way ahead of themselves. The college admits it had a building program that reduced its endowment. They got ahead of themselves on that. They also uh, got hit by the recession. And they also, oh, by the way, made some mistakes on their own federal financial aid accounting and it kept them in a bad spot. So while they're out there trying to raise money, they're asking for $5 million from the city of Birmingham, $2.5 million from Jefferson County, and the rest of it from ARPA grants and Education Trust Fund budget down in Montgomery. And I'm saying no. I'm saying no. Birmingham Southern made its bed. It's going to have to lie in it. And I hate it because I like Birmingham Southern. But they cannot, cannot, cannot go down the road of raising tuition, building all these facilities, not acting like a responsible business, which they have to run themselves like a business, and then letting the government continually bail them out or, for that matter, offer worthless student loans that put kids in debt that then, oh, by the way, uh, don't get repaid. Uh, so, so here's the point of the whole dipper here. The tuition wars, higher ed needs to get itself under control and start putting tuition rates in a place that is achievable for the average citizen and, oh, by the way, is not going to get bailed out by government. And when they build facilities, if they don't build them for their own endowments and then live with the results of that, then something's wrong because no private sector business is allowed to do that. doesn't work that way in the real world. All right, Boomer, take me to a break, brother. We'll do it. I have 345, and I've just finished number one of the Triple Dipper. Oh boy. Man, text line blew up. i got to get on that, too, when we get back. And then we're going to jump into number two of the Triple Dipper, woke warfare. What is happening with our military? Is it woke? We'll talk about it. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back. Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative and just plain right, making it cool to be a conservative. Man, the text lines blew up, Boomer. I'm just saying, wow. Uh, we got some new folks in the line, too, so let me go in there real quick and see who we got doing what. I uh, got a new one, uh, Brett from Muscle Shoals. Brett, we're glad you're in the system, man. Thanks. We're plugging you in. Uh, text in 
whenever you feel like it. Uh, I got another one, uh, uh, Bobby, um, and he I don't he doesn't say where he's from, but uh, Bobby, <laughs> uh, and he. Um, uh, I'm trying to, it's a long text. I'm not sure I can get to all of it right now, but I'll, Bobby, I'll come back to your text in a minute, but we're glad you're in the system. Uh, Bruce from Hazel Green said, we're sending one of our grandchildren to a private high school. It's $10,000, which is ridiculous. And, and you know, I, I get it, man. Uh, we, 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 we made sacrifices to have our kids in a, in a, in a private school. I mean, I'm a product of public school. My wife is too, but we, um, we sent our kids to a, a private high school, uh, it wound up paying off in spades because they both did extremely well uh, academically and uh, and then went on to get scholarships in college. So uh, hang in there, Bruce. Uh, Joe Gunn from uh, Huntsville. Joe Gunn says, uh, so glad I graduated from Troy with three degrees ago, uh, a BS in 1982, an MS in 88, and an EDS in 1996 back when I could pay for it. Never had a government loan, worked to pay mine off. Good for you, Joe Gunn. Appreciate you. Um, and, and, and then again, you bring up the point, though. Uh, Joe Gunn makes the point that he paid for his degrees. So all these folks that are getting their student loans paid off, do those of us who paid for our degrees get a check in the mail? I doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt it. So, yeah, that's not going to happen. Just because. So, so basically, if you, if you made the poor decision to take out a loan that you couldn't then pay for later, or you, you, you took out a loan to get a degree that offered you no ability to pay it off later. What about the people who paid for it out of their own pocket or worked hard to pay as they, as they go? Charlene, I mean, my, my, my beautiful wife, she waited tables during college. She had a student loan and she waited tables. And her parents also helped, you know, provide some uh, portion of that. And they had to do, I mean, she was, she was a poor college student. And, you know, and, and I wasn't rich. I was better off than she was in terms of having a scholarship that also gave me a stipend. And my dad, you know, was, was working to, to help pay for tuition. But, I mean, there was a lot of ramen noodles and peanut butter in college, you know what I'm saying? That, that being said, do people who paid, for, paid their way, do they get a check in the mail from the government? I don't see it happening. Uh, who else we got down the line here? Kenneth Melkmont says um, uh, his room in the bachelor's listed quarters was a cinder block walls and had three or four men in a room, LOL. <laughs> and before that, he was in a 50-man open squad bay. So what he's saying there is, um, how about this? Send him in the military for a while. Let him earn the GI Bill. I even saw a liberal said, uh, by the way, well, you know, you can be a soldier and get a GI Bill. Why can't they, they get their free tuition? They earned it. Thank you very much. They earned it. So, so yeah, not, not, a, not a fair comparison. Not, not, not at all. Don't try that. Here's the other one. Well, during COVID, there were people that got payroll protection loans through the government, and then they were forgiven. So why is that a, not a big deal? Well, let's look at this. If somebody goes down that road on your social media or having that water cooler conversation at work or in Sunday school and they say, well, why, why, I, want, I want my child to have their student loan paid off. I mean, didn't your business get that payroll protection loan? Yeah, that payroll protection loan, by the way, was first of all enacted by Congress. Biden's student loan bailout is not. So it was enacted by Congress and it had stringers attached to it. If you kept your people employed through COVID by using those funds, then you could apply for forgiveness, which may or may not be given. Oh, a little different when you look at it that way, isn't it? Biden is not going through Congress. 
He's trying to pretend that he has both the power of the purse and the power of the executive, and he doesn't. He's also trying to pretend that in some way there is an equal relationship between people who did all they could to keep their businesses open during COVID when everything in the whole freaking world was being shut down and keeping the paychecks in their hands so that their families didn't suffer, that somehow that equates to the idea of having a underwater basket weaving degree from, you know, Hokum Jokum University. Hokum Jokum, where'd that come from, Boomer? I just, I just, just yeah. Boomer just looks at me and laughs because he, words just come out of my head sometimes. Um, Brian from Huntsville, he just texted in, ramen noodles mixed with Vienna sausages in college. Yes, indeed. Redneck lo mein, he says. Yes, indeedy. Uh, that was big doings when you could add a hot dog to the ramen noodles. It's like, wow, eating, eating high on the hog tonight. <laughs> Dang. Um, Mike from Somerville says, uh, and why don't more school systems offer trade school? Well, they do, by the way. And, and in fact, I'll, I'll tell you this, Mike. Uh, it may not be av- available everywhere. Sometimes they're having to partner with the local junior colleges, and there might not be one close by. But when I was in the state Senate, I was proud to be the sponsor of the dual enrollment bill, which is now the law in Alabama, that says you can be in high school and duly enrolled in a tech school program at the junior college nearby. And you can you can graduate sometimes with a high school degree and a certificate from the junior college and go right into the trades. And uh, so that that does exist out there. Uh, Kenya from uh, Monrovia says, I went to community college at $67.50 a quarter in the 70s before heading down to Troy. I worked a work-study program at $1.25 an hour and commuted most of the time, and I graduated my business degree in no debt. See, that's America right there. Thank you, Kenya. You, you, are, you are on the money. No pun intended. Um, Glenn from Bluntsville texted in says, when you apply to get a check for your reimbursement of your student loan, tell them you're woke. <laughs> that's just it that's it the application says are you woke <laughs> thank you thank you very much uh brett from muscle shoals says the cost of education and health care went up with the, when the government got involved the more government money is available the higher the cost perfect point that's exactly right they they literally have no reason to lower the cost of tuition because the government's going to keep giving them more money and and that is an issue pete from muscle shoals was texted in says government caused the need for the ppp and he's right. So when the governor shuts down businesses and then you have to get PPP to keep your employees on, on, you know, on the payroll. And then, oh, by the way, the governor comes back and says, and all that money we got from the feds, we got to use that to replace the unemployment compensation fund. Well, it drained because of you governor. Yeah. Okay. Uh, listen, more to come. We're going to come right back after this break. I didn't even get to half the text that came in. Appreciate y'all being a part of this audience. 833-687-4448. We're talking about our U.S. military coming up next. The woke warfare. Mm. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. side ruffians out there you are listening to right side radio solid conservative just plain right
You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams here live in the Right Side studio for hour number three. The local, the state, the national, sometimes the international. Yes, indeed, the show covers down on all of the issues. Like the dude said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, it is uh, indeed hour number three. Hard, hard to believe, boom shakalaka, that we are at hour number three. I mean, Already? I mean, what the heck? Did, yes. Did you take some of my time away? What happened? Uh, I just, I kind of just threw it out. <laughs> just, just shaved <laughs> it off the clock. Shaved it off. That um, was good stuff. That's that's you know it's always like it's a it's a great sign when the show goes fast because I think it means the content is really you know resonating is doing its thing. Yeah. Um, all right, listen, let's do that with another topic. I know this audience, we got a ton of people out there that care about our national defense. A bunch of y'all are veterans uh, or veterans in your family. Uh, quite a few of you are still green suitors out there at places like Redstone Arsenal or at uh, uh, Anderson Army Depot or at uh, Maxwell Air Force Base or serving in our reserves or National Guard. So all of that to say, this next section is for you, woke warfare. Woke warfare. Are, do, do we have woke policies being thrust on our military? I'm going to tell you right now, the answer is unequivocally yes. Now, the question is whether they believe it is or not. And, and, and if, they, if, they, if they keep adding these policies for diversity, equity, and inclusion, diversity, equity, and inclusion, that is part of wokeness. Don't think for a second that it's not. But I, I saw a piece that, that – um, so U.S. Senator Roger Wicker from Mississippi. So those of you that are a Mississippi audience, we're, 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 uh, we're, we're giving you a thumbs up for Senator Roger Wicker, who's a ranking member on the Senate Armed Services Committee. Uh, he delivered some remarks in the last couple of days. And he said this. He said, the ideas propagandized by the bureaucrats and so-called diversity officers in our military are painting a false picture of reality. He says, they run afoul of America's founding principles and our country's dedication to the proposition that all men are created equal. The mission of the U.S. military is to deter real wars and to win them, not to engage in culture wars within the ranks. And he points out that DEI is ongoing right now at service academies, you know, West Point and the Naval Academy and all. He says, across the service academies, students can now find indoctrination courses on, and I quote, this is his quote, the social and physical constructs of race, gender, and ethnicity in the context of social inequality in America. At every service academy, he says, one can now find diversity, equity, and inclusion programming for students. The examples of what this does to the military would be laughable if it weren't so dangerous, in his words. This is one of our Senate Republican members of the Senate Armed Services Committee. He says, rather than fighting culture wars at the Pentagon, our focus should be turning to do everything in our power to expand the population eligible and qualified for military service. And he says, I will partner with any member of Congress who wants to achieve that goal. Uh, let me jump to a phone call real quick, and, uh, and then we'll head down the uh, the path to seeing what some of these other officials have had to say. Uh, line one, Jason from Athens. Hey, Jason, Phil Williams, how you doing? I'm doing great, Phil, and I, I'm, I'm glad somebody's talking about this because I served in the military. I spent some time, but most of my time was at Fort Bragg, uh, bouncing back and forth between Afghanistan and Fort Bragg and Garrison. Yeah. And when I was there, I felt like I was in what you all might think of as the military. Um, I got out, 
and I began to miss it after some time. So I joined again, and I went this time to the Army Reserves. Yeah. Now, now, there certainly is a difference between the reserves and the uh, regular active duty anyway, but let me just tell you, first day there, I see a guy who's he just doesn't look the part, and I did what I'm supposed to do as a non-commissioned officer, and I addressed it. Guy wouldn't get in a parade rest. He cocked what we used to call parade pretty. Um, and I want you to know that I got in trouble later because I used the knife hand, which is for listeners who don't know. <laughs> you know, the NCO oftentimes will point at you with four fingers when they're addressing you. And, they, and we don't sugarcoat things, right? Um, he actually uh, advised the commander that he just didn't have his card, and uh, otherwise he would have pulled it on me. And if he would have pulled it, I wouldn't have known what it was, apparently. They give soldiers now some kind of card they can whip out if they're feeling overly stressed, which is, uh, hey, you got to leave me alone. You see, my stress level's getting high. And, uh, you know, that alone blew me away. Add to that, while we're there in the reserves, we're not doing military stuff. We were going through feel-good PowerPoint classes about all kinds of social justice causes. Then you have a PT test that comes up. You had literally privates telling their non-commissioned officers that they're not taking it today. They just don't feel like it. Oh. And the NCOs were powerless to stop it. And, I, you know, I was involved in the meeting, and I said, well, fuck, let's do this. And the answer that I got was, no, nah, that's hazing. What do you mean that's hazing? That used to be called an on-the-spot correction. So, yes, I, I, I could go on for days. I don't want to hijack your radio show. No. But I'm telling you right now. We have never had a higher likelihood of conflict with China than we have today. No, I totally agree. I'm also agree. telling you right now that the Chinese soldiers are not over there sharpening their skills on wokeness. Okay, they're they're not, and that's what we're doing. So if we go to war, we just have how. Oh, did we lose him? They'll switch to our side and understand. But I don't think that's how it'll work. Hey, Jason, let me let me jump in there and ask you. Uh, first of all, thanks for your service, man. Appreciate that very much. And um, uh, especially uh, being a you know a two timer where you joined, got out, and then found a reason to go back in and do the reserve thing. So I I've done a lot of time in guard and reserve, and I can tell you right now, it depends upon leadership. So my my personal experience in a in a National Guard uh, Special Forces unit was PT tests mattered and knife hands were okay. And then I did have one brief sojourn into what I would call a more rear echelon unit that that I, the first day I was there, I heard the XO say, okay, if anybody feels like doing PT, let's turn outside and see if we can get some done. I thought, well, what have I just fallen into? So I think it boils down to leadership more often than not. Uh, what years were you were you in? So you were Bragg, active duty, um, and then when were you in the reserves also? Okay, Bragg, active duty, I went in in 2007, and I stayed there through 2013. All right. And I got out just because I wanted to have a family. I wanted to, I don't know, the, the, the unit I was in just deployed every 18 months, and I wanted some time I can to have a family. But then I got to missing it, and I joined back to the reserves in 2018. And I will tell you, during my time in the reserves, I served with two different units. Both of them were equally dysfunctional. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen, I've seen it. It can be disheartening, man. You're like, okay, you do have a uniform that says U.S. Army, but you're not acting like it. But, um, but there's some good ones out there. So let me just reassure you on that, first of all. But, but, but your experiences are not. They're they're not too often unusual, which is a cry and shame. Is that there's a well, there's a world of we got soft sidedness in the military right now. If we went to war today, we're in trouble. Uh, just take it from me. I'm just a guy. 
and and you can take that for what it's worth. But I am telling you right now, if we go to war today, we're in trouble. Well, so here, here's here's where I stand on it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna unpack this some more. Uh, I'm of the firm belief that yes, you're right, and I say that with regards to senior leadership having policies that don't win wars, but. I'd still believe that the average Joe and Jane who joins the military joins for the right reasons. I don't think we have a whole bunch of people out there that because they had two mommies, they want to join the military and find their dream. I don't think that's a worthy uh, advertising policy um, uh, for recruiting. But then I do believe, though, that we have kids that if you tell them, we'll give you a life of adventure, you will travel the world, you will win our wars and support and defend our Constitution, and we'll make you better than you were when you got here, I think they'll join up in droves again like they did back when you and I got in. Well, what's missing, Phil, is the team, okay? Yeah. And we, the military used to reward belonging to the team. And today what they are pushing for is the individual. Uh, and that's – people who don't know, don't know. But I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, if you're not a member of the team, when the time counts, you may not be willing to do what you have to do to protect your team member. Good call, man. So Good call. I, I'll let you get back to your show. Thank you so much for taking my call and letting me have my 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, brother. You have a great one. Appreciate your service. Thanks much. Um, yeah, so so here's the thing. Uh, and, and he's not wrong, by the way. There There is a there is a softer side of, and, and, I, and I totally agree with the last point he's made, that too often what we're seeing right now in the policies, now keep in mind, policies and the actual warfighter functions can be two different things. You can have people that are hard charging, jumping out of airplanes, doing all the things it takes to be a warfighter. And I don't care if you're a company clerk pushing paper or you're a Green Beret. It doesn't matter to me what, what your role is. You can, you can be a hard charger in whatever role you're given. But when the, when the Army leadership continually wants to find diversity, equity, and inclusion and the opportunity for people to find their own personal space and allow transgenders to be in, you know, different units and people have to feel uncomfortable showering with someone of the opposite sex. I got news. It's going to drive recruiting down. When you tell them that despite the fact that you have a right to your freedom of religion and you're going to actually fight for that right because it's part of the Constitution you're sworn to uphold and defend, and yet you're going to have a vaccine mandate that then denies you the ability to apply for a religious accommodation. I got news people are going to stop joining up. So some of these policies that I'm talking about, I've got, and by the way, in my opinion, and this is, this is to take it for what it's worth, this is just Colonel Williams sitting here at his desk in the right side studio right now. But I'm going to bet there's more of you out there that would agree. In my opinion, it's time for Army Secretary Christine Wormuth to resign. It's time for someone else to take that job. Maybe, just maybe, we ought to find a Secretary of the Army who's actually served in the Army. Wouldn't that be a novel thing? And I'm not saying she's a bad person. I'm saying she's a bad Army secretary. I'm saying she's presided over the, the, the policymaking side, the, the civilian leadership side of drastic failures in recruiting and retention of the Afghanistan debacle. And, and right now, in, in, in just, just my semi-educated, I've been in uniform and I used to polish a lot of boots opinion Army Secretary Christine Wormuth is, is literally just a placeholder. She's someone who was put there so that the president could say, I appointed the first woman to that position. So freaking what? Does she know how to guide things in a direction to win wars? There's a novel idea. How about the Army Secretary be a warfighter? How about, how about the Army Secretary be someone who has lived in a barracks and polished a boot before? 
How about the Army Secretary be someone who has gone through basic training or has, has, has deployed in some capacity or knows what it means to have to leave your family behind to go do those hard things in hard places? So, yeah, I'm getting out there on this one. Army Secretary Christine Warmoth, go to the House. All right, Boomer, take me to a break. I'm going to come right back, and I'm going to jump into things that Army Secretary Christine Warmoth has said most recently. And I will tell you there's a little bit of good news because a new recruiting ad just came out, and I, I don't dislike this one. <laughs> so we'll play that for you when we get back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Williams Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, making it cool to be a conservative with some of the best bump music in the radio world. Boomer, you are on it, man. Now on the bumps. That that one we've had for a while. Yes. That was that was a, that was some of our Black Crows bumps. But you you jammed in a few new ones here today. That just there's a few new ones in here. I actually caught myself one time just listening to the bump and I realized, oh, I'm supposed to be talking right now. <laughs> oh, I, I, I got to start it. <laughs> it's it's all your fault though, Boomer. You put the best bumps in there. What am I supposed to do? You got to listen to them. I'm saying. Uh, good job, man. Thank you. Uh, hey, the text lines are open. Eight three three six eight seven. 4448. That's 833 68 right. So, uh, so basically, Jason called in a moment ago. Uh, Jason, who was stationed at Fort Bragg for a while. Uh, Brian from Huntsville, Texas, and says, I like Jason. I owe him lunch. So, there's that. Uh, Wendell from Baton Rouge just texted in and says, The last caller is why I love listening to this program. Great conversation. We need to know these experiences. Uh, thank you, Wendell. Appreciate you saying so. Uh, Dwight from Decatur. This text it in and said the Alabama Guard did trans uh, trans training last. Uh, I did say last, I guess last month. Said I submitted my retirement papers. I would not encourage anyone to join. That's awful to hear. Um, I was a battalion commander uh, in the Alabama Guard, an infantry battalion, and uh, we did not have any trans training uh, at my battalion. Um, anyway, uh, wow. Okay, great, great listeners, great reviews. Let me let me say this. Army Secretary Christine Warmoth, I'm not a fan. You may have gathered that since I called for her to resign in the last segment. But she has, um, I went and checked her bio, which I've got up on the screen right now in front of me. And um, she has been a, a policy person, uh, usually at the Office of Secretary of Defense, since like 1996. I mean, her, her she's got a Bachelor of Arts degree in political science from William and, uh, from William and Mary, I think it is. Um, a master's of public policy from the University of Maryland. Uh, she's been a presidential management intern. Uh, she's, you know, helped write the 1997 Quadrennial Defense Review. Yay. Um, all of this is cool, and I do not mind the fact that we have, you know, uh, uh, a civilian side to the military. We should. 
because we are a nation in which the civilian sector is allowed to have final say over the military. That's why we have the secretaries and we have the executive branch as commander in chief, not a military branch. But that being said, um, I'm just I'm just curious how um, you can have a lady, any person, man or woman, who is the secretary of the army, who has never served in the army. I mean, she's you know, she got out for a while, worked in a defense consulting firm, came back in 2009 as a Department of Defense political appointee. She was a senior fellow in the International Security Program with the Center for Strategic International Studies. Yay, but did she ever polish a boot? Ever once. Did she ever run a PT test? Ever once. Did she ever have to go to the field or deploy and leave her family behind? Ever once. And the answer is no. Now, I'm not saying she hasn't done some cool things. What I am saying is I'm not sure why she's Secretary of the Army, except that she's been a career bureaucrat who has worked in policy, and she is, you know, they're able to say that she's the first female Secretary of the Army. Well, I'm pretty sure there's some people out there, you know, with some pretty cool ribbons and badges from serving in the military who are also female who could have been Secretary of the Army just as easily. Uh, so Army Secretary, according to Daily Wire, Army Secretary Christine Warmoth took some heat via Twitter when she boasted most recently, this story came out yesterday, that the Army is prior prioritizing its plans to combat climate change. Well, there you have it. Warmoth revealed that Fort Bragg, North Carolina, one of my favorite places in the military, by the way, uh, spent a lot of time deploying in and out of Fort Bragg. Warmoth revealed that Fort Bragg, North Carolina, was home to the largest floating solar array. Well, now, hey, solar panels that float on the surface of a body of water while tethered to the bottom in the southeastern United States. And she argued that was proof of the military's leadership when it came to climate change. Critics were quick to respond to Warmoth's tweet that, tweet that a number, with a number of them arguing that the military should not even be prioritizing climate action over combat readiness and preparing new recruits for potential figure, for future battles. Now, she takes issue with that, rightfully so. But retired Marine gunny sergeant Jesse Jane Duff, another female, reacted as well, saying China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea are watching as the Secretary of the Army brags that her priority is fighting climate change. Secretary of the Army, your absurd focus is why the U.S. military was rated as weak relative to the force needed to defend our national interests. I got more of this. When we come back, we'll talk about what she said about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then I'll play for you a recent ad that does give me some mm, hope, I guess. Anyway, all I can say here is that retired Navy SEAL Derek Van Orden, who now serves in Congress, said he's just a dumb and retired senior enlisted guy, but he thinks there's 15,000 more priorities she could think of than that. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Right Side Ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right.
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, saving the world one soundbite at a time. Hey, um, listen, I got to tell you guys, we have a new advertiser, Elm Foundation. That's E-L-M, Elm Foundation. If you haven't heard the ad talking about the Elm Foundation, which is based out of Huntsville, I encourage you to check them out. Their website is Elm. That's E-L-M-H-S-V.org. That's like Elm Huntsville. ELMHSV.org. You can check out what they do, and, and what they do is actually very cool. You know, we, we have people in our communities that are, that are going to be, there's always going to be some, somebody who is disenfranchised or is, is in need of assistance. And the whole idea is that you give them a hand up, not a hand out. And Elm Foundation is really making strides right here in North Alabama at giving people opportunities, uh, giving them job skills training, uh, helping them to learn how to manage resources, to find the resources they need for things like drug rehab and all that. At the same time, they're not just bailing them out or enabling bad behavior. They're literally working to get people into a better place so that they become productive in society again. And I, so I, I, and I love that. That's the way it's supposed to be. I encourage you, check them out, the Elm Foundation at elmhsv.org. That's Elm Huntsville, elmhsv.org. Check them out. Um, all right, so we're back right now in the whole idea of woke warfare. I got several people uh, who texted in uh, since the last uh, segment, uh, Raven from Russellville. Um, Raven says, as a graduate of the John Wayne School for Wayward Boys, I can tell you, Woke would not have fared well when I was there. <laughs> and and for those who don't those who don't know don't know those who do know know what he's talking about is the um, uh, the JFK Special Warfare Center at Fort Bragg. Uh, so yeah, where they train Green Berets and Civil Affairs psyops and and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, the John Wayne School for Wayward Boys. Yep, they ain't no woke gonna be there. John from Decatur says, so where did they put the solar panels in, in, at Fort Bragg? I don't know. He names Mott Lake. I don't know. I, I, I was kind of surprised to hear that because I was trying to picture a lake that was big enough to do it without, you know, causing an issue, but whatever. So, so listen, um, Biden's Army Secretary, Christine Warmoth, I'm not a fan. You know, she might be a nice person. Maybe, maybe we would, you know, you know, be able to barbecue on a Saturday night and have a good time. I don't know. I'm just not a fan of her being the secretary of the army. I'm not a fan of her lack of military, personal military experience. I'm not a fan of her woke policies. Well, she says they're not woke. They're not. They are. Uh, Daily Wire had a story last October quoting her headline, we're not woke. We just have diversity, equity, and inclusion. So yeah, uh, Joe Biden's secretary of the army, Christine Warmoth, gave a master class on how the left advances this agenda, says this article from Daily Wire last October. She's a liberal arts graduate with a master's of public policy who has served in the civilian position since May of 2021 when Biden appointed her. The Biden appointee declared Monday, that, that's back then, that the armed forces aren't woke. They just have diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in every military base to make marginalized members of society feel included. Well, so let me just go ahead and say that feeling included is what happens when someone shaves their head, looks like everybody else in line with them, when they all shave their heads, goes through basic training, learns how to do stuff together, eat stuff together, work together, and win wars together, and you all wear the same uniform, and it says U.S. Army, U.S. Navy, U.S. Air Force, whatever the case may be, that's being included. Warmoth said sharply, I don't know what woke means, 
But first of all, I would say if woke means that we're not focused on war fighting, we're not fighting on readiness, that doesn't reflect what I see at installations around the countries and overseas where I go visit. Okay, I'm glad to hear she, she feels that way. I will also say this. I am not disheartened at the quality of troops that we have. By and large, I think we still have the ability to win wars. I do think it's been diminished. I do think we have a readiness issue. I do think that we have a, um, a warfighter spirit that is starting to flag. I do think, too, that we're finding fewer people wanting to join right now because of the woke policies being put in at the top. The article points out, says, she says, we do have a wide range of soldiers in our army, and I think we have to make them feel included. That's why a lot of our diversity, equity, and inclusion programs are so important. Well, the article points out, and I agree, says we would actually prefer to not we would actually prefer to exclude anybody that's not fit to serve or that slows down the army's readiness to kill. So let me let me say this. Uh, you know, I'm an old soldier, right? I'm a, I'm a I'm a black boot soldier. I I, I had a lot of kiwi in my life that I had to put on boots and run to a spit shine. I, 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 we had the old school where you, you got your, uh, you, you had your garrison uniform and you had your field uniform and the garrison uniform was starched, man, starched. So everybody who's been in thinks that the, the new kids don't know as much as they know. I get it. But I will say we didn't have as much non-military oriented effort as we do now, back in the day. We just didn't. So one thing that I am pleased with, though, is the Army just came out with a new ad. And they're moving back to the um, be-all-you-can-be kind of mode. In fact, it even says be-all-you-can-be in the ad. Remember you got that ad ready? Here's the thing. I'm going to play this ad for you. You don't have the visuals with it. The visuals are not bad. The visuals... um, they, they show paratroopers, they show tanks, they show, you know, people working in medical environments, they show green berets and paratroopers, all of them. They, they, they do. But it, it just, it's, it's still missing an edge. And, and it's like they tried so hard to make sure they had a broad spectrum of the different kinds of people that are in the Army. I, I'm fine with that, really. I am. But it's just so obvious what they're trying to do. But here's the thing. It's better than what I've been seeing. It's better than the cartoon-based ads of Susie with two mommies just trying to follow her dream of inclusiveness. That crap's got to stop. In the meantime, I'm going to play you this new ad. Uh, Boomer, go ahead and play it. What does it mean when people say America is a land of opportunity? It means we strive to be a nation of limitless possibilities. Exploring those possibilities isn't just an inclination. It's our greatest strength, the power to discover. To redefine yourself. To improve yourself. To challenge yourself. To challenge yourself. To challenge yourself. To realize there's more in you than you ever knew that you could do. To be all you can be. To be all you can be. It means never assuming something can't be done. And if it's the right thing to do, never stopping until you achieve it. That's how the U.S. Army has succeeded since the founding of this country. Since the founding of this country. Giving people an open field to explore what they do best. With the best tools. The best training. The best technology in the world. The possibilities really are endless. And the world sees that. It's what we fight for every day. Every day. Every day. Seeing those possibilities, then going out and achieving them, that's winning. 
And we all know that winning matters. Having possibilities matters. It's what makes every soldier swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. America was built on embracing possibilities. This is what we do. This is what we do. This is what we do. We bring out the best in the people who serve. Because America calls for nothing less. So you can be all you can be. 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 That's 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 some that's that's a that's a definite improvement. It's a definite improvement. I mean, I, I look at it and it's like it's just it's just like on the edge of of sort of firing you up. And and I'm I don't know what's missing. I, I will say this: there's something about the Marine Corps commercials that that always seem to like make you want to take the high ground. Um, but 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 this commercial is is definitely a step up. I think someone somewhere has finally gotten it through their thick freaking heads that you cannot continue going down the road of telling people why we're going to need you to help us make the army more inclusive. Stop that. So there, there's there's no there's no kids out there that are looking for an opportunity to join the military so they can become softer. Now, I will say this. The Army has lowered its standards. The military, I mean, by and large. The, the, the Department of Defense has lowered its standards. You know, President Obama tried to put in place an opportunity for transgenders to serve. President Trump put it on hold and sent it off to be studied ad nauseum, everybody knowing what the result was going to be. General Mattis, when he was, you know, when he was sitting in the secretary's position, he, he, he kept that thing at bay for a while. And then the first thing that happened when, uh, when Biden took office was he authorized not only transgenders in the military, he, he put orders in place that require you know, joint facilities for, for transgenders to be in the same barracks, same bathrooms, same shower stalls, all of it. And at the same time, he's, he's allowing people to join the military to have their, um, their um, gender reassignment surgeries uh, paid for by the U.S. Army, the U.S. Air Force, U.S. Navy, whoever. And, and I look at that and go, does that really help us fight wars? Well, everyone should be given an opportunity to serve. No, everyone should be given an opportunity to serve if indeed they can join and win wars. You are allowed to have in the world, in the world of employment, as an attorney, I can just tell you, you're allowed to have what's called a BFOQ, a bona fide occupational qualification. And if you have to lower the standards, then do you really have a BFOQ at that point? If you're, if you're having to say, you know, that fireman doesn't need to be able to carry the, uh, the, the hose roll up the uh, ladder. You know, that, um, that soldier doesn't need to be able to see to be able to fire his weapon. You know, that, um, that, that person doesn't need to be uh, bilingual to be a linguist in the Army. I mean, what the heck? you got to have a bona fide occupational qualification. Well, the Army has been lowering its bona fide occupational qualifications. The PT test, um, allowing for people that have higher rates of uh, uh, anxiety and depression because they are openly uh, transgender uh, to be in the ranks, um, never caring what it does to the, uh, the rights or, or, the, or the freedoms of those who serve in the same barracks. And, and so all I'm going to say is this. Secretary of Army Warmoth, who appeared in that last little video I displayed, Maybe she caught on that woke policies are being called out and the fact that we have a new Republican Congress might mean she has to answer to it. It's going to have to keep morphing. We're going to have to keep getting back to the days of we're here to win wars. 
and, uh, and, 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 and woke warfare, it doesn't win wars. Hey, let me tell you real quick before we go, uh, speaking of bona fide occupational qualifications, ZLA Solutions. ZLA Solutions has been with us since the very beginning of this show a year and a half plus ago. ZLA Solutions are like some of the best around right now at helping people and jobs come together. If you're an employer and you need people, now they can do a lot of things for you, logistics, warehousing, you know, all kinds of different things, but their bread and butter man at ZLA Solutions is still staffing. It doesn't matter if you need onesies and twosies or a whole shift of people. Blue collar, white collar, no collar, it don't matter. Right now they've got a big push on hiring for high-tech white collar work at a new facility uh, out at um, uh, Redstone Arsenal. I'm just telling you, ZLA Solutions, you can find them at their website, ZLAUSA.com. They are doing really cool stuff. If you need people, they can help you find them. ZLA Solutions at ZLAUSA.com. And do me a favor, tell them you heard about it on Right Side Radio. All right, Boomer, take us to the last break of the day. Brother, we'll do that right now. We'll come right back and wrap up this uh, woke warfare piece. Looks like it's a two-dipper day, Boom. Two-dippers. Two-dipper day. It's all right. That's all right. There's a lot in them dippers. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. So, hey, Just Love Coffee Cafe. Well, you know what I love is when we get we get people that send us stuff that says, hey, that advertisement you're doing, this is what I just did. So so Wanda from Somerville today, shout out to Wanda from Somerville, yeah. who sent me a picture of her lunch at Just Love Coffee Cafe today, said that uh, this was her first, um, her first foray into uh, Just Love Coffee Cafe. She loved it. Uh, she had the, uh, the, 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 the BLT uh, that was – it's cooked in a waffle iron, by the way, which I still love. I think it's the coolest thing in the world. But, um, but anyway, so, yeah, Wanda from uh, Somerville. I sent that to Travis at Just Love Coffee Cafe and said, had another one of our listeners send us proof, proof that they are enjoying your food. And um, yeah. so, yeah, two locations in our listening area, one on South Parkway in Huntsville, the other on Hughes Road in Madison. Just Love Coffee Cafe with an amazing menu, amazing coffees, amazing environment. You got to check them out. Hughes Road in Madison, South Parkway in Huntsville. Just Love Coffee Cafe. Um, so, yeah, let's wrap this up here. I've got two articles left, one from Wall Street Journal, the other from Heritage uh, Foundation. Which one do I want to go with first? Let's see. I'll tell you what. Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal editorial board came out pretty strong. Talking about woke training in the government overall, which also includes the Department of Defense. Says things like, the Department of Veterans Affairs has a gender gingerbread person. What? NASA says beware of micro inequities. Micro inequities. Okay. And if U.S. Army service women express discomfort showering with a female who has male genitalia, then what's the brass's reply? Go talk to your commanding officer, but you got to toughen up. No, it's, it doesn't work that way. It's not... 
says, these are details from hundreds of pages of diversity, equity, and inclusion training materials that are used by the federal government in 2021 and obtained under a Freedom of Information Act request. Says everyone in corporate life knows about this kind of training, but taxpayers might be curious to know how their money is being spent to instruct the federal workforce to include your military now. As for its diversity training, the U.S. Army offered three modules, three, three separate modules on transgender policy, one for commanders at all levels, one for special staff, and the third for units and soldiers. Notably is a series of vignettes that cover pronoun usage, your analysis observation, and a serviceman who wants to discuss his newly confirmed pregnancy. God almighty. A serviceman who wants to discuss his newly confirmed pregnancy. With respect to showers and schedules, those schedules can be adjusted or curtains can be installed, but a soldier's gender in the Army system governs which facilities are used, meaning if the Army decides they're going to accept transgenders and you're born a male but you identify as a female, you're put in the deer system that way. That means it just is. You just are a female at that point, period. That is where you'll be assigned. That is how your barracks and quarters will be assigned. That is how it will be. Transgender soldiers are not required or expected to modify their behavior, just the other soldiers. Wow. How about this one? The last one I got here. The Rise of Wokeness in the Military by the Heritage Foundation. And it goes on and on and on. I mean, I don't know that I can even get into this. This is like a five-page article. But it says that wokeness in the military is being imposed by elected and appointed leaders in the White House, Congress, and the Pentagon who have little understanding of the purpose, character, traditions, and requirements of the institution they are trying to change. And the push for it didn't just begin in the last two years under Biden, nor will it automatically end if a non-woke administration is elected in 2024. Wokeness in the military has become somewhat ingrained, and unless the policies that flow from it are illegal or directly jeopardize readiness, senior military leaders have little alternatives but to comply. Woke ideology undermines military readiness in various ways. It undermines cohesiveness by emphasizing differences based on race, ethnicity, and sex. It undermines leadership authority by introducing questions about whether promotion is based on merit or quota. It leads to military personnel serving in areas for which they are not qualified or ready. And it takes time and resources away from training and activities and weapons development that contributes to actual readiness. So the bottom line, folks, is this. I won't go into all the examples it gives, but it gives plenty. The bottom line is this. The U.S. military exists for the sole purpose of defending and supporting the Constitution, fighting America's wars, and ensuring that our enemies lose, not us. The U.S. military is indeed a melting pot. My dad, who served as a career officer, he used to be proud of the fact that the U.S. military, and I am too, was the first true melting pot of American society. That, though, does not mean that it is an experimentation station. It is not designed to do anything except fight and win wars. You have the combat arms, you have the combat service support, you have the combat support elements, and they all have their peace. But they are not designed to make people feel better. They're not designed to give you an opportunity to find your, your level of softness they're designed to create hard-charging, war-fighting soldiers who go out there and win America's wars as needed. And we need people right now. We've got to get away from these woke policies in our military. And I will continue to harp that as long as I have a microphone. All right, you guys, it's a double-dipper day. Tomorrow we'll be back at 2 o'clock. Plenty of stuff on tap. We should have U.S. Senator Katie Britt on the show tomorrow. Y'all stay tuned. We will see you then.